The following podcast is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. What's up, Benfica Nation? Welcome back. It's almost the new season. I'm not calling it a new season just yet. But preseason is going on. And there's news to talk about. But it is episode 166, I believe, of Mr. Benfica. Yes, that is correct. Episode 166, Mr. Benfica. I'm your host, as always, the Mr. Mike Agustinu, coming to you from the northeast corner of the United States of America to the entire world, wherever you are listening on your devices right now. Hope everyone is having a great off-season. I had said I was going to get some more content out to you. I know it's been a month. Um, I have been absolutely slammed with work. Um, also been work doing a lot of video editing for stuff I'm going to put up on the YouTube channel, on the PTB Media Network's YouTube channel. So stay tuned to there. My first video is already up. I have uh, done some ground hopping with, with my son. We have been to, I believe, if my, if my memory serves me correctly, we've been to five different Major League Soccer MLS stadiums this summer so far. And we're not done yet. We got two more road trips to go this season. We're, st- we're still scheduled to go to Columbus and to Philadelphia. So um, anyone in those locations, um, if you're if you're someone who goes to matches, give me a shout. Let me uh, let me know what's up, and uh, maybe maybe I can hook you up with some swag if we happen to be at the same match. The plan to go to Columbus is August the twentieth for Hell Is Real, Columbus versus Cincinnati. And Philadelphia, September, I think it's the 3rd. It's Labor Day weekend here in the United States. And I believe it's against the New York Red Bulls. So uh, if you're at either of those matches, let me know. I can Maybe I can bring you a t-shirt or something. I still have a few t-shirts left. I would love to, to hook anybody up with some swag. If you're going to be there and if you are interested, of course. Big shout out before I continue to Apple TV Plus' Eric Krakauer, formerly of BN Sport. i got to give him a shout out tonight because... Um, 
Last month when I was down in his neck of the woods, I was down in Charlotte, North Carolina with my son. My son's a big Charlotte FC fan. This is the team he has picked to be his team in in MLS. And uh, we went down and when Eric uh, saw my tweet that I was going there, he reached out and uh, he he wanted to say hello. So he came to visit us in the stand. It was, it was awesome. He made my son's trip. I mean, he brought us a swag bag filled with, with uh, Charlotte FC scarves, towels. Uh, there was a flag in there. There was a couple T-shirts, a hat. It was, it was so dope. And my son just absolutely loved it. And uh, he, I mean, if he wasn't, he, he had already picked Charlotte as his team, but it just further, you know, reinforced his, his love for that team. And as a parent, it was just great to see just how happy the big smile he had on his face as he opened up that bag back in our hotel room and he saw all the different stuff that was in there. And uh, Eric didn't have to do that, and Eric did that. And I am very, very grateful. So, Eric, thank you if you are listening. Um, I know you're a Sportingista. That's cool. That's cool. Half of my family, if not more, is Sportingista. It's all good. Um, You didn't have to do that for us, and you did, and we tremendously appreciate it and um maybe this is one of the reasons why i'm such an advocate for major league soccer the people i have met that are affiliated with the league or that are involved in the league have all been top notch it's just another example but this is the most um generous and um kind thing that uh i've experienced as a football fan in my life in in traveling to matches and in visiting clubs uh this was was really powerful for me so uh, again a thank you to apple tv plus's eric krakauer and um i'll never forget it and neither will my son thank you all right the plan tonight was to talk and it still is to talk about the women's team recap the end of last season and talk about this gigantic performance that our players had at the Women's World Cup, mostly focused on Portugal, but not only, not only, okay? We'll also talk about Christy Uchebe having herself one heck of a World Cup and being instrumental. Nigeria still alive, and she is a big reason for that. But before I can do that, I do have to talk about the news that is breaking more or less as we speak, and I was just watching Canal Ons. It is, you know, just about 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern time here in the on the east coast of the United States on the 2nd of August. And um, it looks like Gonzalo Ramuji is going to be sold right now. That's what it appears to be. Record uh, was, re- re- was reporting it. Abola now has also said that uh, they've received word that it's going to be $65 million plus $15 million in objectives. And, um, well, this is the reality of being a Benfica supporter here in the 21st century, here in the 20s, I guess you could say, in the 10s and the 20s of the 21st century. And you almost watch these games with hope that players play well, but that they don't play too well. I understand the business side all too well, okay? I do. I understand it all too well. And I understand that these kind of things have to happen, and this is a player's game, and we can't get attached to players because they all leave, okay? This is not as 
damaging, not as, you know, insulting, if you will, as the Enzo saga last January, because we are still in the first days of August. We have a Super Cup final one week from today um, that now we don't even know if our striker is going to play in, and we don't have a replacement for him. And, and even if we get one, unlikely he'll be in in time for that match, even if it's Santiago Jimenez, uh, the Mexican striker, who I hope I'm wrong, but I'm not overly impressed with. I know he played well for Feyenoord. I know he's he's a key guy for them. Watched him play for Mexico this summer, and he didn't impress me. He didn't play well, but Mexico hasn't impressed. I know they won, they won the what we call the Gold Cup here. They won their con- the continental title, but they didn't even. This is a continent where teams don't even send their their best teams to the championship, if you will. And Mexico sent their top team. He was a substitute in the final. Yeah, he scored the winner in the final. Maybe his confidence will be raised from that, but at this time, he's not a Benfica player, and I think the amount that we're going to have to spend to bring him in is um, going to basically diminish any profit we make on the sale of Gonzalo Ramos, and um, well, I don't know that that's the best order of business. I don't know off the top of my head right now. I'm I'm, I'm still in preseason two. I'm a little bit uh, foggy right now, but I don't know what the clause is, uh, the release clause for uh, Gonzalo Ramos that would trigger a, a you know trigger a, an automatic transfer, and I feel like Benfica should should demand more. This player is very instrumental to us. We don't have another another solution. We don't have another out and out striker. I mean, we have Petar Musa. Petar Musa for me is a phenomenal substitute, and I don't know that he's got the characteristics, especially early on here, to be a ninety minute starter. I'm not saying he can't develop that over the course of this season, over the course of the next nine to ten months. But right now, you cannot you cannot say with any certainty that he has it in him to be a starter. And I know everybody wants him to start because he does well and he scores goals. But he scores goals as a substitute. That does not necessarily mean he's going to score goals as a starter. And while every player wants to be a starter, no player you know goes around. Bragging about being a super sub, that is the role that some players fall into at larger clubs, and we are a larger club. So I have my concerns there. Obviously, if Gonzalo goes right now, that is who I assume would have to start there next next week. And, of course, it just seems like destability, and these kind of things always happen around Porto matches. You know by now how much I hate that team. And it just seems like whenever we have to play them, even in what this really is, and this isn't what they say it is, okay, to them this is a final that they put on par with the league and with the cup, okay. This is a a glorified preseason friendly, and I understand that. But because of who it's against, it's a game that has to be won and compete it. Benfica have to compete at the highest level. They have to win this game. They have to prove that they can get past this mental wall, this block that is overcoming this monster that we know as Futebol Clube do Porto. They have to get past the diving from Taremi, the, the, the late hits, the late stampings, and the elbows of Otavio. Okay? You know you're going to concede a penalty. You're starting the match down 1-0 because you know at some point a penalty is most likely going to be given. They've had five penalties in six preseason matches, so they're well prepared to take a penalty in this Super Cup final. 
And now, so close to that match, learning of losing your number nine, who we just put the number nine jersey on. I know that doesn't mean a lot to most people. And um, I don't know. I thought that when he put the nine jersey on that that was a sign that this player was going to stay, that he was only going to leave for the ex- the amount of, of the clause, just like you know, Enzo only left for the amount that we said or, or right around it. And now these rumors are circulating, and there's probably truth to them. And um, no matter how good of a team you a season you have, I think it has to sell somebody every year. I get that. I hate that, but I get that. And um, you hope that this is the only sale they have to make. I know people are. I'm not going to really talk about how the preseason has gone yet. I'm going to do that this weekend. Okay, I'm going to do an episode just on the preseason and my thoughts on it, which are going to be probably different than other people's. But I look at preseason in a very unique way, and I look at it in a certain way that is is very different from most of what I'm hearing and what I'm reading and things like that. But I'm just going to say that right now it looks like this is going to happen. If it's going to happen, I hope it happens quickly. I don't want this dragging out to the end of the window. And will he stay? Will he go? The instability of that. I, if he's got to go, I want the team looking for a replacement right now. I want that offers to be being made as soon as possible. I know that they. I'm sure they have a list of players they're looking at, and it does not only include Santiago Jimenez. Okay, there's other players, and for for less cost. And if that has to happen, then that has to happen. But of course. This is our top goal scorer. This is a guy who should have been the Golden Boot winner last year. He only wasn't because of the enormous number of penalties gifted to the guy that did take it. For me, the the ball at Prata, as they call it, the silver ball, lost all value last season. It, it was it was a trophy that was handed over. Um, so it lost all value for me. But this is a guy who, who put the ball in the net, and this is a guy who came up with many big wins. And from a footballing standpoint, as a former coach and as, you know, who watches this, and I did some scouting and I look at different things. And while it was never obviously for any of these levels of of the players we're talking about, I don't believe this player is ready to make this kind of a jump. And nor do I believe that this player is a good fit for Luis Enrique's style of play, for for his system of play. He's just—he's not a—he's not that type of player for for that kind of team. And I mean, how many times have we cashed in? But the player has just crashed and burned. And at the very least, a lot of them not play, not risen to their their potential. Renato Sanchez, you know, João Felix. Even he—he he has shown tremendous ability. He's helped his team to a title, but he has struggled to stay in a team. He's struggled to fit into a mold, into a system. And I see the same exact struggles coming for Gonzalo Ramos if he goes on to PSG. Not to mention, why does it always have to be PSG and Chelsea and Manchester City? Well, I know why. They're the ones that can pay these these prices that our players are worth. But it's always to these teams. And it's always to teams personally that I can't stand to root for, that I can't root for. I'll root for the players and hope that the players do well. But it's for teams I can't really root for. I'm not going to be 
tuning in to PSG to support them? Absolutely not. Um, it's just, I just, it, it makes me dislike this sport at times, or at least where this sport has become. On the other end, it's sometimes, it's great. You know, I do, I still love this game and I still love to watch it, but the top levels are becoming less likable for me, I guess you could say, as our players just continue to get poached, continue to get picked off, and our club just can, and, and I get it, like a lot of fans are complaining that once again the club is putting the financial goals above the the sporting goals, but I don't think that's the case. I think the reality is our club's hands are tied on a lot of these deals. We can hold firm as long, you know, up to a to a certain point. But in the end, we really are left helpless. If a player wants to go in this day and age, the player, the club is, is powerless to keep a player from moving. And from what I understand, Gonzalo Ramos wants to move on. That's what a lot of the experts are saying. I don't know. He hasn't said that himself. Um, but I guess the next couple days we'll be telling in what happens. But uh, this episode is about the women's team, and I've gone on for 15 minutes about Gonzalo Ramos and about the transfer market, so I'm going to leave it at that, take a quick break, re- recollect myself here, and uh, recap the final weeks of last season for the women. Uh, we'll talk about who's out, who's in, and then we'll talk about uh, the Women's World Cup. That has been a phenomenal success in my opinion. Great football has been played. I think there's been very, very high-level football. We're getting surprises. We're getting upset results. Portugal very, very nearly sent the back, excuse me, sent the back-to-back world champions home. Well, yesterday in, in, on my calendar in my time zone, but uh, two days ago in us in uh, New Zealand, um, so close to to beating the United States. And I'll give some of my thoughts as a Portuguese-American on that um, in the next segment. So I'm going to take this quick break here. We're going to play Reconquista, okay? And on the other side, I'll be back with some more uh, more topics to talk about here. We're, we're, we're talking women's football in this episode. And um, that starts right after this. I'm the Mr. Mike Agustinho. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Agustinho. That's at M-I-K-E-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O. You can follow the show also if you like at Benfica Mister on Twitter and on Instagram. It's at Mr. Benfica. I'll be right back. Jornada sofrida, a glória da vitória tem que ser bem nutrida Na reconquista do que é nosso por direito Que não vi por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora nós somos um eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos um eterno abrigo Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a 
sozinho em cada esquina um vizinho Sinto o carinho do Algarve até ao Minho Vermelho pinta a Tuga e é isso o teu colinho Na reconquista do que é nosso por direito Que eu não vi por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo nós somos o eterno abrigo And welcome back to Mr. Benfica episode 166 here on the PTB Media Network We're talking women's football and as you know Benfica three time now three Pete three time three time three time champions of the Liga BPI Winning the last three titles in a row, of course, and before that, winning the second division title. So every season that has concluded up to now, Benfica have won the, the league that they have played in. That is um, a recipe for success. That is a history of success. 2022-23 was no different. We covered the... We, we from time to time, jumped into the season, and I tried to cover as many of the matches as I could. Uh, in the final two matches of the season, uh, Benfica picked up uh, more wins, of course. They finished the season after 22 rounds, Benfica 21 victories and one defeat, 63 points. May or may not be a record number of points in the league of EPI. I feel like it should be, but it may not be because for many, many years this league uh, had dominant teams. Bef even before us, there was the dominance of Sporting, there was the dominance of the team with the most titles, okay? And that, of course, is Primeiro de Dezembro, the dynasty of the early years of women's football in Portugal. And I'm um, looking at it right now. Primeiro de Dezembro has 12 titles, okay? So, and I don't even think they feel the team right now, which is, which is too bad. Um, those were all amateur titles, I get it. Uh, our current manager, Felipe Patão, played for Primeiro de Zembro for many years, winning a lot of those titles. Um, they really should be competing still at that league. They're, they're the historic club in the league, and it is sad that they are not with us anymore in the first division. But uh, last season, like I said, Benfica, 21 victories and um, pretty damn near close to perfect for last season except for that one loss at the Luge to Sporting it is what it is can't win them all and um, that team came in that day and they got us on that on the night so it was an afternoon game but you get you get the point and <laughs> they got us on the night but Benfica winning the title by nine points 63 points to Sporting's 54 third place went to Braga with 51 and fourth place family count with 40 no surprises there those four teams are the four top teams and um it was a little more spread out in 2022-23 it was it was closer the previous years but a lot of that's due to also sporting the divestment in in their women's football team they've seen a lot of players leave a lot of the portuguese national team players that were at sporting are now playing abroad and um, I think that's why you saw that gap jump from a couple of points up to nine uh, between the first two titles and now this one. Fifth place went to the surprise, the sensation team, if you will, the surprise of the season, the Mayans, uh, 36 points, a very, very good job by that team. 
um, last season to really make a name for themselves. Sixth place to Lanc Villaverdense, 28 points. And if I'm not mistaken, their first season in the first division. Torreyens from Torreyens, 22 points, seventh place. And then Club Albergeria, former club of Jessica Silva, a uh, club that she has represented, and I believe she may have even started her senior career there. They had 21 points, eighth place, good enough to stay up. Same for ninth place, Valadares Gaia, the club where we discovered Lucia Alves, where we got her from. Uh, Valadares had 20 points, good enough for ninth place. And then in the relegation playoffs, 10th place was Athletic Audience with 17 points. And Maritimu. And whenever we talk about Maritimu in the women's game, of course, we talk about Telma Encarnação. And now it's in the history books, Telma, the first ever to score a goal for Portugal at a Women's World Cup. And she insists on staying at Maritimu. And uh, will she be playing in the second division this year? I'll hit that in a moment. Uh, the only automatically relegated team was 12th place, Amora, who mustered only uh, only 7 points last season in 22 matches, scoring only 12 goals and surrendering 71. They were automatically relegated to the second division. Now in the playoffs for relegation athletic audience played Gil Vicente yes the Gilistas have uh, have their women's team on the brink of getting into the first division uh, the first leg went 2-1 to one to athletic audience as um, uh, that first leg was played in Orain and they won 2-1 to one. and then the second leg in Barcelos finished 1-1 so athletic audience stays in the Liga VPI stays in the top flight with a 3-2 win on aggregate. And the aforementioned Maritimu playing one of the other historic clubs in Portuguese women's football. We're talking about Futebol Benfica or Fofó as they're called. Uh, Maritimu versus Fofó. And the first leg played in Madeira. And Telmin Encarnação pretty much single-handedly keeps her team in the first division. 4-1 victory in the first leg in Madeira. And then... In the second leg, it was a 2-1 victory for Maritimo in in Benfica, in the Benfica neighborhood, where football Benfica plays. Um, easy, easy uh, round for Maritimo to win and to stay up. So Maritimo will stay, which means the girls will make another trip to the island this season and play on on the synthetic pitch. The pitch that claimed, you know, the ACL, the cruciate ligament of uh, Nicole Raisla two seasons ago. I think will be traveling out there again this year because Maritimo did stay up. But uh, Mora goes down and the second division champion comes up. And I'm going to talk about them for just a moment because going into the upcoming season, this is a team to keep an eye on. They are called Racing Power, okay? Weird name, I know. Racing Power FC. They play. They are officially from Seychelles. So this is, in a way, they are a derby match for us. It's a Seychelles derby with uh, Benfica. Uh, however, they will play their home matches at the Complex Municipal d'Atletismo in Stubal. So they're going to play in the Stubal Athletics ground, essentially, where where uh, athletics is practiced, track and field as we call it in the United States. 
Uh, they were the champions. I believe they were unbeaten champions in uh, the second division last year. They got to the semifinals of the Portuguese Cup as well. And um, they're going to be an interesting project. They are well-funded. They've invested heavily. They have a few of our former players. I know Evi Tavares is there, uh, who played with us in our first couple seasons. She's there now. She's also played for Sporting Braga. So I actually can see r Racing Power replace replace one of the teams in the top four. Which one? I don't know. I don't know if Famalicão or Braga is going to be stronger. It's probably going to be Braga that's stronger because uh, we took some players from Famalicão in this offseason. So let's take a look at Benfica's roster now going in to this, this new season. Or should I say first, the exits. And there were more exits than this, but... Uh, the ones that we're going to notice right off the bat, okay, of course, our top scorer and the 2022-23 Liga BPI Player of the Year, Canadian international Chloe Lacasse has joined Arsenal. What I'm a bit concerned about is I know, and maybe this is just the reality of the game right now in the women's ranks in Europe, but... There's no mention of any type of compensation. Perhaps, I know she was signed until 2024. Chloe was signed until 2024, and she joined Arsenal. I would like to think that the club got something for the best player that has ever played <laughs> for this club on the in, in women's football. Okay, at least, you know, the most dangerous goal scorer that we have had. With all due respect to... With all due respect to uh, Darlene in in the early days of this team, Chloe did it in the top flight. Chloe did it in the Champions League. Chloe did it against the best teams in Portugal. Darlene scored the overwhelming bulk of her goals in the second division in matches that we won by double digits. So Chloe has moved on. She had a very nice message for Benfica fans. They, you know, the club will be a part of her heart. And uh, she recognizes that um, her coming to Benfica was the best for both parties. She was an unknown playing in Iceland. She comes to Benfica and she becomes a known and she finds her way into her country's national team. She got to play at a World Cup. She was not even on their radar when she joined Benfica uh, two seasons ago, three seasons ago. And... Benfica are also in a much better place, thanks to large part to Chloe Lacasse's performances, especially in the Champions League. Um, and the Champions League journey starts again soon. I think it starts in the beginning of September. I believe September seventh, if I'm not mistaken, is the first uh, the first qualifying match or the first preliminary match. So the team is not going to have a lot of time to get ready because the players that win at the World Cup, I'm not sure when they're going to start. If they're going to come right in. Or if they're going to get another vacation here, another holiday, a short one, before the season starts. Now, um, the only player Benfica has still playing at the World Cup, I believe, is Christy Uchebe. Okay, And that's because Ana Vitoria has also left Benfica. She's signed with PSG. Uh, she was one of the last ones to be here from day one. She was here on day one. And she has moved on. Her She has grown by leaps and bounds like everyone else. Um, more so maybe than most. And that's why she finds herself now 
Again, another player who came from Brazil, relatively unknown, found her way onto her country's national team, went to the World Cup. Um, not that she saw a lot of minutes in this World Cup, but Brazil sadly bounced in the first round, marking the end of maybe the best career of, or the career of probably the best women's player of all time. For me, number one of all time, the GOAT uh, of the women's game, Marta. Um, I met her once too, so maybe I'm biased, but <laughs> um, it was a great career. But uh, I don't believe that that Ana Vitoria had a lot of minutes. I'm not 100% sure because these games played in the middle of the night for us, and it was not easy to keep up with. It was hard enough to keep up with the Portugal games and to, to get up and watch those those three games. But uh, Ana Vitoria has joined PSG, so that's a big loss for us in midfield. I, I have a surprising take on who I think Benfica should go get to replace her. I don't know that they're going to do this. I don't know that this is their, their model, their plan. But um, after watching this World Cup, there is a Portuguese player I think Benfica should go get that would replace her. Probably not going to do it, but... I'll get to that in just a minute. Those two are the two big ones that have left at this point. Also, uh, American goalkeeper Katie Talbert has also uh, departed. She announced her her departure from the club shortly after the end of the season. Thanks to the club for everything. Not sure where she's going. Last I checked on her social media, there was no mention of a new club yet but i'm sure she's gonna she's gonna go where she can be the starter and um she will not be the starter here and before i get to her not being the starter let me just run down the stats for chloe lacasse over the course of four seasons of course one of them was cut short due to covid but um as far as liga bpi play at least is concerned Okay, uh, Chloe Lacasse, 74 appearances for Benfica. She had 79 for IBV in Iceland. In Iceland, she scored 54 goals and 79 appearances. Here in the Liga BPI for Portugal, she, for Portugal, in Portugal, excuse me, for Benfica is what I meant to say. She scored 70 goals and 74 appearances. That is one heck of a goal scoring record. She is now 30. This was the opportunity to move. I have no ill feelings about this. It, it's sad because she's such a big part of our team and she made us so much better than uh, the other teams in the league, obviously. But um, at this stage of her career, she make, made the right move. The chance to play for Arsenal and to play in the Women's Super League is uh, a once-in-a-lifetime, and it'll keep her in the eyes of her national team coach and extend her, her time in the national team, I think. Uh, she's got 21 appearances now for Canada, all since 2021, okay? And uh, one one goal for Canada, but who knows? She could explode at Arsenal and um, even see her international career to even go to another level. So I wish Chloe and, and Ana Vitoria the best, and, and Katie Talbert as well. Um, the reason Katie Talbert is out, and I was not even aware of this at the time, but I'm now looking at the current roster. As of August 1st, we've got a new goalie by the name of Lena Powells, a German youth international. She has joined. So I'm going to run down the roster for the upcoming season. Uh, one Canadian leaves in Chloe Lacasse. Another one joins Marie Yasmin Alidou, uh, native of Montreal. 
uh, the beautiful city of Montreal, Quebec. Uh, she joins from Fumalicão, okay, and uh, she is a midfielder. She'll be wearing the number two jersey this season, and perhaps she is one of the players thought to be a replacement for Ana Vitoria. Number three, as you know, is going to be Ana Saisa. Nothing new there. Center back. She got some World Cup minutes against Vietnam earlier this week. She played well. Uh, she's going to be there in the in the bat in the center of defense alongside her partner, you know, Carol uh, Costa. Silvio Rebelo still listed on the team and still listed as the captain. It surprises me a little bit. I thought we were going to part ways with her. Um, I'll talk about the World Cup in a minute. Or in a few minutes, I should say. But uh, she was on on the squad. She was in the national team despite playing very, very few minutes last season as the season went on for Benfica. She's going to wear the number four. Number five belongs to an American defender by the name of Paige Almirandes. And if I'm not mistaken, um, she joined from Family Co as well, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not 100% sure where she, she joined from. Um... Let me see here. I'm going to Google her real quick. I should have had this ready, but uh, I didn't know when I was going to record this episode. So I didn't quite have it ready, but every time I put it off, another day goes by, like I said. And that, that um, you know, before you know it, a month goes by like the last time I was here. She came from Braga, excuse me. Uh, so we signed Paige Almarandis from Braga. Paige, let's take a look at her... Uh, player profile here on playmakerstats.com page is 25 years old and uh like we said an american she's a native of sacramento california left-footed central defender with a height of 171 centimeters or one meter 71 and uh she is signed now through 25 26 so welcome of course to the team page almirandis uh, formerly of Sporting Braga. Okay, the number six belongs to Andrea Faria. Uh, we saw, I was big on Andrea Faria. It's been, probably into the halfway point of last season. Then we saw her drop off. Maybe she's going to gain something from the departure of Ana Vitoria too. Because I thought she was growing leaps and bounds. And then suddenly she plateaued and then even kind of fell off. Towards the end, she wasn't really even an option anymore. She was getting few minutes, and she ended up being left off of Luis Neto's World Cup uh, roster when she was normally in the team despite not playing. Uh, she's going to wear the number six. Number seven belongs to Valeria once again, a Brazilian talented wide player. Marta Sintra will wear number eight, another Brazilian. Uh, another Brazilian, Nicole Raísla. She's back, sadly for Nicole. Her World Cup dreams ended at the final hurdle, injured in training already in when she was already in New Zealand or Australia, wherever their group was played. She picked up a knock in training and missed the World Cup. She's been back at the club uh, rehabbing, and we'll see when she will be ready to play this season. Kika, this is a big news. Kika, after a fantastic World Cup, she's going to wear the number 10 this season. And I think this is a brilliant bit of business from the club. They should be selling Kika jerseys at every home match at Seychelles or at uh, Cava de Piedad, wherever they're going to play. Because guess what? Cava de Piedad don't have a team this year. So it actually makes sense if, if Benfica's women are going to play 
away from Seychelles. It makes sense to play there. That can be their home. They're going to be the only team playing there this year. Um, I guess they'd be sharing it with Color Piedad's women's team, but their men's team is not playing this year. Uh, or I should say they are playing. They're not playing in, in uh, Liga 3. They failed to be licensed. They're playing in the district in the bottom of the pyramid. So perhaps that won't work out as nicely as I just thought it uh, it would. But uh, Kika is going to wear the number 10. I am psyched. And again, get that jersey on sale. Number 10 Kika jerseys. The women's jersey. Make it in a men's cut. Sell it. I proudly wore the Portuguese national team. Navegador's jersey. Uh... Pretty much all World Cup. I mean, I, I wore it every match day, and um, it's not the same jersey the men wear. It's a much it's a much nicer jersey. Personally, it's a nicer shade of red uh, with the green stripes down the side, the nice clean white numbers. It's it's a beautiful jersey, beautiful kit, and uh, the girls did the kit proud at the World Cup, no doubt. Uh, number eleven this year is going to be Jessica Silva, and I'll talk about her and. Uh, Everything she accomplished this summer. Lucia Alves is going to be number 13 once again. She's back. Leticia Almeida, a Portuguese midfielder, will wear number 14. She must be a call-up from uh, the youth team. Um, not exactly sure. I'm going to look into her as well. Give me one moment here and see who she is. Again, there were a lot of... There is quite a bit of new players coming into the team, so that is always good. Leticia Almeida came from... Family Cone, if I'm not mistaken. She's a she is. Hold on one moment. I got an ad popping up. Yeah, she's wearing a Family Cone kit in her in her uh, photo, but she is now signed to Benfica until 2026. She is Portuguese. Um, she is only 18 years old, so we'll see how she develops she's represented like many of these players by the k cyrus football management that is her agency and uh she played 26 matches for family Cone last season scoring in two of them um previously playing for lunk villa Verdes as well so she has climbed her way up the ladder all the way to benfica welcome to leticia almeida carol costa's number 15 you already know all about her Christy Uchebi is number 16. Again, she's the one still at the World Cup. Her Nigeria side qualifies. Okay, they qualified, and they will be in the round of 16. I'll talk about that shortly. Andrea Norton, who also had a very good World Cup, played very, very well against the United States, wearing the number 17. Katarina Amado wearing the number 19. Again, fantastic World Cup for Katarina Amado, even though she was playing as a left wing back which made no sense to me and a lot of what Francisco Neto makes no does makes no sense to me except I'm I feel like the only one who uh understood what he did here in this U.S. game but I'll talk about that in a minute but she's the number 19 right wing back Lara, Lara Martins is a Portuguese uh forward she's going to wear the number 20 and Lara Martins, uh, let's see here, the story behind Lara Martins. I think she's also a, she's young, she's very young. Lara Martins is 16 years old, and so she was promoted from the youth team. She has played for Benfica since 2020, starting in the nine-a-side uh, 
In 2020, she split time, but listen to this, between the 7-a-side U15 team and the 9-a-side U19 team. Now, I was going to talk about this. This was the reality for foot, women's football in Portugal. Up until 2021, there was no 11-v-11 championship outside of the senior level. The under-19s had to play 9-a-side even the even Befica and Sporting were playing nine aside. It only further proves the leaps and bounds that the women's game has grown in Portugal in such a short time. They just took the world champions to the final whistle and nearly stole it late. They outplayed the world champions. And many of these players didn't play 11 aside football until they were senior players. Some of them were forced to turn senior at 15 years old because there was no other level for them to play at. They would play with the boys until they were 15 and then go right into senior football. That was the trajectory, especially for the older players, the Carol Costas, the Silvia Ribelos, the just in our team, you know, uh, the My uh, my mind is is blanking now of of some of the other plays we've seen them come come and go, uh, a number of them over the years. But the the older Portuguese players, this was their reality. They played nine v nine. Even Kika at the U nineteen level played nine v nine, and she's only twenty years old. Of course, she was like fifteen years old at that time, but it was nine v nine. And again, had to make the jump as such a young player from the U nineteen to the senior team just to play eleven aside football. But again. This is Lara Nogueira Martins, uh, born in 2006. Wow. 16 years old, native of Faru, and uh, she's a right-footed player who plays up front. We'll see how much we see of her, but um, always good to get young players that maybe could, you know, not that long ago, Katrina Amado and Kika and... Um, at the time, you know, Andrea Faria was, was at that level with them, and she kind of got passed by them. But uh, those three in particular, you know, were, were youth team player or were B team players that came in and stole their places. You know, suddenly we were sending Brazilian internationals home. Okay, we had one, I believe, her name was Diane, if I remember correctly, a Brazil national team right back. <laughs> We sent back to Brazil and said, we've got Catarina Amado, and we put her into the team, and she never looked back. She took the spot and kept it. Paulita, our vice captain, working her way back from that horrible cruciate ligament injury at the end of last season. Um, the heart and soul of this team, no question, and I have said she is a dual, she is a dual citizen to my knowledge now. And she should be in Portugal's national team, no question. When she reha- If she comes back to be the player she was before, the federation needs to put her in the national team. If you're going to have the Otavius of the world wearing the jersey, and in my opinion, disgracing the jersey, you can have a Pauleta putting that jersey on and being a brilliant example uh, in that jersey. So... Again, the Paulita for national t- for Portuguese national team uh, campaign will continue this season. Um, she's going to wear the number 21 as she has since the day she arrived. Amelia Silva, she is a younger player as well, suffered a horrific injury 
recently. Let's pull up Amelia. I'm going to pull up Amelia's, uh, pull up her profile here on Playmaker. A great site, Playmaker. She's now 20 years old. But, yeah, she was injured in, uh, she missed all of last season with an injury. Um, I know she had a, she had a surgery as well. Has very few appearances, but she's only 20 years old, a, Attacking midfielder who can also play as a as a right winger. Um, she is one meter fifty five, not the tallest player, but a a good player, represented by Prodigy Players. That's her her agency, and um, I I hope we get to see more of her. She she um, has been bit by the injury bug, but hopefully she can overcome that. She's going to wear the number twenty two this season. 23 goes to another midfielder who's definitely going to be in in the uh, picture for Ana Vitoria's spot. That's the German Anna Gasper, who, if I'm not mistaken, joined us late, la- you know, in the second half of the season last year. I believe she joined us in the January window. Now the women have a slightly different window than the men, so it could have even been after that. But she joined Benfica from Austria Vienne last season, made nine appearances and scored a goal. And um, I think it's worth uh, mentioning that she's probably going to see a lot more minutes this season. As it's starting to look, as I look at this roster, there is some competition for a, for a place in that midfield. We we do have a very strong midfield now. Uh, another midfielder who joined us, a if I'm not mistaken, a former Barcelona player, uh, joined us. Her name is Andrea Falcon. Uh, she joined us this summer. She was one of the earliest signings, 26 years old from the Barcelona Academy. Um, she is a she is a left-footed player that can play both as a left winger and as a left wing back. Uh, she is one meter seventy-three, and let's. She joins us from Club America. That's right, from Club America in the Mexican. Uh, Liga Mekis Femenil, and she helped America to the title last season. Uh, her stats are not here from, from America, but before that she was playing at Levante with 16 appearances, 4 goals, and 4 assists. And prior to that she played for Barcelona and Atletico Madrid. So she had 24 appearances for Atletico Madrid with a goal and 20 appearances for Barcelona. No goals, but four assists in her time with the Blaugrana. She signs until 2026 as well. I'm excited to see her, see how she fits in. And all of this may um, make the argument I was going to make for, for who I thought we should go get kind of a moot point because we do have we have brought in some talent here. Daniela Santos is a defender, and we saw some of her last season, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, playing, she's gonna wear the number thirty, and um, she played last season. Let's see here, she, and she's also a Portugal U nineteen international, so uh, she is an up and coming player who I think is gonna get a good opportunity here to to prove herself. She's an Azorian native of Arta in uh, the island of Fayal. And uh, one meter seventy-four, she is a central defender. So that is someone who can start to little by little be perhaps the succession plan 
for Carol Costa. I believe Carol is now 32 or 33. So uh, here we have a 19-year-old born in in 2004, as I said, in Orta Fayal. And uh, last season, we did not see her last season. I thought we did. Uh, she had no appearances for Benfica last season, but had 22 appearances for the B team last season. And uh, okay, so she did. She played in one of the cups. She didn't play any league action, but she did play in one of the cups last season. In the season before that, playing in the U19s ten times, as well as 14 times that season for the B team, splitting, splitting. Um, Splitting time last, you know, that season between the two sides. She, it does show her with two Portuguese women's league titles. So perhaps she did receive a medal each of the last two years. Uh, I'm excited to see see what what we have here in in another central defender. Of course, Ana Saiz is another player who came through the ranks uh, from the youth team to the B team and into the first team and now to the national team. So taking. That perfect trajectory right to the top of the uh, the game in Portugal. Catalino Violão, backup goalkeeper, um, third goalkeeper most likely, wearing number 39. Ruth Costa, for me, still the starter until someone else wins it. Um, sadly, the only player from Portugal that did not get on the pitch at the World Cup. She'll be the goalkeeper, number 66. Daniela Silva is back, another one of our younger players. Matilde Silva, also a defender and a midfielder, respectfully, respectively. Excuse me, Marta Salvador is a de another defender wearing the number 79. Laís Araújo is a new player that is uh, a 27-year-old midfielder who we signed from Famalicão. She had a very good season last year from Famalicão. Scoring two goals in 30 appearances. And then the one we call Bibakas, Beatriz Nogueira, number 99 for Benfica. So the team looks good. We still have the following players under contract as of right now. Uh, we have Lara Pintasilu. We have Carolina Correa, another center back. And Pintasilu's a, a striker who we tried to convert into a left back last season. Didn't really work. Um, these players are likely going to be loaned or offloaded completely. Uh, Joana Silva, a defender. Mathilde Silva, uh, also, she's listed. Uh, it's not the same. So we have two Mathilde Silvas here. Uh, different Mathilde Silva. Uh, this one's a defender. The one I read on the roster is a midfielder. And then the Romanian Madalina Tatar is going to be leaving. I did read that right now. Still under contract, but I think she is going to be leaving. Um Maria Negrão, we don't have a solution for yet in the Brazilian Clarinha. Also, unsure of where uh, this team, where they're going to fall in the plans. But we are into preseason now, and they, they may win spots. Felipe Patão's the manager, as we know. The assistant coaches, Thiago Carmo, André Val, uh, Marcos Souza, and Barbara Reis. The goalkeeping coach, once again, is Pedro Spina. And actually, this is outdated. He He left last season, but still listed here as the goalkeeping coach, so I, I'll leave it at that. Felipe Patone's the manager. I know Andre Val still the number two. And on paper, I think he's still the manager because he's the one that carries the uh, UEFA senior license. So that is summing up the team and where they are. I'm going to uh, give my thoughts on the World Cup now. I've been waiting to talk about this. Um, what a performance or what 
three performances from Portugal at the World Cup. So I'm going to talk about our players first, the ones and mostly the ones that played for Portugal. Imagine, uh, give me just a minute to say this, okay? They went into a group that featured the two finalists of the last World Cup. When is the last time you saw that happen? When in the men's game have the two previous finalists ever drawn each other in the same group? It that doesn't happen. It happened here. Portugal, unlucky enough to draw that. Of course, they they knew that before they had even qualified. They knew that whoever came out of their qualifying playoff was going to face the Netherlands, the United States, and Vietnam. And at the time, I was excited because I saw Vietnam, and I said, hey, we have a real chance to win a game. That was the game we won, and the girls did what they should. This game, I was livid with Francisco Neto, okay? In the first game, I didn't have that much of an issue. I knew Kika didn't start against the Netherlands, but I knew she picked up an injury, and we thought for a minute that her World Cup was over. And it turned out not, it was a hamstring, and it turned out not to be as serious, although she did play with her hamstring taped. Uh, It was not as serious as we feared. So I understood her not starting that first match. I didn't understand the Lourdes starting, with all due respect. But he, he, he... he does things that make no sense to me, okay? Ana Borges has always played as an attacker, both in qualifying and for sporting. We get to this this match, we get to the World Cup, and he moves her to the wing-back position she played a decade ago. Cut, well, it wasn't a decade ago. I'm exaggerating a little bit. It was like three seasons ago. Katarina Madu has been the right back in this team throughout qualifying. Ana Borges has played in front of her. Neto decides, now that we're at the World Cup, that's not going to happen. But when you have two perfectly good left backs, one is our our Lucia Alves, the other is Juana Marchand, who is very, very uh, strong and dangerous. Neto opts to move Katarina Madu to the left and force her to play on her weak foot, which limits her ability to go forward and to get forward into attacking spaces, limits her ability to, to play crosses in. But that's what he does. It seemed like he, my criticism of him is it seems like he makes room for, I don't want to say they're his favorites, but he overvalues the veterans who have been there from, you know, six, seven years ago. Though Silvia Ribello is our player and our captain. And with all due respect, she there was no reason for her to be at this World Cup as a fourth central defender. That should have gone to a younger player that could have gained something from that experience. I understand she was the longtime center back for the national team. I understand she was a big part of the entire process. And it's been a process of eight years or nine years for this manager and for a bulk of this, the, these players. The game can be cruel sometimes. You can't take everybody. And you can't play everybody. In that second match, Portugal had the opportunity to put it away much earlier. What does Neto do? He subs off Kika early. 
against against Vietnam. She, he gets her in. So let's get back to Vietnam for a second. After they lose one nil to the Netherlands in a match that I think he could have prepared the team better. And I know he could prote- he could prepare the team better, and I know he could plan the team better because he did did it in the final match. However, he didn't quite get, for me get it a hundred percent right against the Netherlands. The Netherlands get a goal, and we're unable to score. Portugal, that is unable to score. Okay, losing one nil. That was a match you could not afford to drop to 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 lose. You needed any other result. And it made qualifying that much harder. Now, he said from day one that the objective was to still be in the tournament, to not be eliminated before the final whistle of the final game. Some may say that's a low bar, but for the degree of difficulty in this group, I think that's a very, very appropriate objective, and they reached it. And to that, I congratulate the manager and the players, obviously. However, I thought that game with the Netherlands could have been better planned. Uh, Kika came off the bench, like I said. That's that's fine. Um, didn't see enough of Telma. Didn't see enough of Telma. Diana Silva was not was not um, effective enough for me in this tournament. I understand why he used her because she has the pace, and you're going to be looking for the the counter, but. For me, of all the starters, she didn't. De- she delivered the least. I thought we should have seen more of Telma in that match. Okay, well, we lose one nil. It is what it is. They played well. They um, they p- tend to play well against the Netherlands. They play well against the teams that keep the ball and the teams that like to move the ball. They have a harder time with the physical specimens, which is why the teams that are just absolutely athletic and physical and big and strong and run fast and jump high. Okay, And I heard this on on Canal Owens, one of the the analysts. I don't remember which one said it. It was one of the female analysts, and she said, if in the men's game Portugal suffers from being undersized against the top teams – that gap is is even larger, exponentially larger in the women's game. And she's right. Inej Preda is like my height. Okay, she's, she's not tall. Struggles to play the crosses. Okay, she has. We, we, we went out of the Euro because of balls being lobbed in over her head. And our defenders not having the height or the or the leaping ability to, to jump with Scandinavians, Germans, Americans, whatever, right? So we lose 1-0 to the Netherlands, but we play well. All the confidence in the world for the match with Vietnam. And he flips the whole lineup upside down. And I didn't think it was bad. I liked a lot of the changes he made, except... Well, I shouldn't say I liked them. I didn't like them at first. First of all, I see Patricio Moraes in goal for the for the second the second game. Why are we switching goalies when the goalkeeper in the first game played well? Why is he going to the weaker goalkeeper? Why does he insist on a two goalkeeper system? It's as if he refuses to make a decision about them, and so many times he has gotten it wrong. 
when you should just pick a starter, and that starter should be Inish Pereira. Although I think that Ruth Costa is just as good as she is, but clearly he does not value, he does not rate Ruth Costa. Okay, um, but Patricia Moraes is a step behind, in my opinion. She's not any taller. She doesn't jump any higher. She's not particularly good with the ball at her feet. Okay, I don't understand any logic other than charity for switching goalkeepers. Now, he moves Diana Gomes, Braga's Diana Gomes, out of the center of defense and slides in Ana Saisa. I'm all for the Benfica girls, but why? Why change the back line? Why is it that it seems like he was this, this game that they had to win, and they did win, but they had to win, and the more they won by, the better. You knew that the Americans had only gotten three on Vietnam. You could send a statement by winning 4 or 5 nil, which they should have won 4 or 5 nil. Why are you messing with things? Why is it more important to get certain players playing time? This is the World Cup. This is not Recreation League. This is not a participation competition. This is not everybody gets to play a certain amount of minutes. He drops Katarina, if I'm not mistaken, from that match. I'm gonna pull it back up because now I'm not. I'm doubting myself, but I think he dropped Katarina Amado from that match for some unexplained reason. Again, she didn't do anything wrong in, in that first match. She was fine. You have her playing on her weaker side. That's your fault, not hers. Because you want to play one of your favorites in a position in more in a more protected position. That's what it seems like at least. Okay. As I pull it up here, Portugal versus the uh, Vietnam. He went to a three that's right. He went to a three back. That's what he did. He went to a three back with Saisa Carol Costa. And Ana Borges, who is a attacker for all intents and purposes at this stage of her career. Those were the three he put across the back. Wing backs, Lucia Alves and Joana Marchand. Joana Marchand, I'm all for her starting. I love Lucia Alves. But why is she playing as a right wing back? She's not a right. She plays on the left. You sat the actual right wing back. To put the left wing back at right wing back. The double pivot in midfield of Andrea Jacinta and Tatiana Pinto. I like that. I like that better than than um, than Dolores and I guess Andrea Norton. But I would have Andrea Norton in there also. Um, but I see that you can't play them all. So I get that change. Okay, Kika playing in the number ten behind the stri- behind Jessica Silva and Telmin Carnassal, which is where she should be playing, and she did great in this tournament at finding those spaces between the lines, getting on the end of those passes, and quickly playing that dangerous ball into into the attacking areas for our forwards. I keep saying our for Portugal's forwards to to strike. Okay, 
very, very good play from Kika Nazareth in these two matches, especially. Well, in all three, but but precisely in these two final matches. She showed her value to the world. And I can't help but fear that they're not going to come for her soon, too. They came for Chloe. They came for Ana Vitoria. It's only a matter of time before the top clubs come for Kika. And damn it, I hope we get a good transfer fee. She's growing. She's moving into... She she is entering that echelon. She is becoming that elite player. And it's been amazing to watch her grow over the past three, four seasons from a little girl who, who was playing against adults who, who looked out of place physically, you know, looked like a little kid playing against adults to a woman who now takes full control of the of the match. And when he subbed her out of this match prematurely, in my opinion, I know she's carrying a knock, but prematurely in the 69th minute, Vietnam got back into the match. That's not good. That's not good. We scored early, and we went at... Portugal scored early and went at a frenetic pace, and the first half was excellent, but you saw in the second half completely gassed. And I said at that point, against the United States, you're going to have to be much smarter than that. I get it. He went for a lot of goals because he's so concerned with getting the charity done and getting the bench emptied and getting everybody a chance to play at the World Cup. It's a very nice human thing to do, but you're there to coach a team at the World Cup and to put them in the best position you can to to get to the second stage, to get to the second round. I think he could have... Manage this one better, and this could have been 3 or 4 nil. Would it have made any difference in the end? Who knows? They would have gone in perhaps with a little more confidence against the United States, but of course, they played the game of their lives against the United States. So, in the end, maybe I'm nitpicking, and maybe he got it right. Okay? Jessica did everything to try to get a goal. She did everything. She was very frustrated with herself and with uh, her luck in this one, but a very good performance, okay? Andrea Norton did come into this match. Uh, she came in in the 69th. So did Ana Capeta and Catalina Menz. This is where I started yelling at the television. Why is Catalina Menz on this team? She hardly plays for Sporting. And you're bringing her to the World Cup and taking minutes away from other players. Younger players. Why is Ana Hoot subbed in in the 90th minute? Charity. And Sylvia Habilu as well. Charity. I don't want to be bashing Sylvia Habilu. She's our captain. She's been here since day one. And she's a very important part of the legacy of this club. And she was very important in what got our club to where it is. And she's very important in what got this national team to where it is. But when you need, you're only winning 2-0. Goal difference matters. It could have mattered. You're subbing on a center back in the 90th minute. Last game of the group against the United States. And now, a lot of times when it's the United States against Portugal, I feel this identity crisis inside of me. Not the case when you talk about women's football. I struggle to find anything I like about the American women's team. Okay, I struggle to find anything I like about them. Are they good? Yes. Do they have four World Cups? Yes. Would I trade my Navigadores for four World Cups? No. 
not in a million years. The way that team carries themselves, the way that they belittle others, the inflated view they have of... And, I, and I'm talking mostly about the leaders of this team. We don't even get to know 75% of this American team because the Rapinos and the Morgans hog up the spotlight. And you got to listen. And you got to. And I don't think there's room for anybody that has any differing opinions in that in that locker room with with the senior players, the the leaders, quote unquote, of that locker room, the veterans of that locker room. I don't think that. I don't think anyone who has any differing of a viewpoint would feel comfortable speaking up, you know, or speaking for themselves. And I think what ends up happening is you have bullies in the room and. You see how this team is playing poorly. Their own fans are either disillusioned and thinking it's over or they're just, you know, complete homers and uh, think that it's just all going to work out like it did four years ago. They very well might win the World Cup again. I I couldn't care less, okay? I couldn't care less. There is absolutely no debate about which one of these teams represents my values, which one of these teams represents my brand of football, which one of these teams represents what I view as professionalism. Okay, And that's the Portuguese team, no question about it. I have watched this Portuguese team for over a decade. I have seen them go from where I, I kid you not, where I got phone calls asking if I knew any Portuguese players, female players, or players of Portuguese descent, I should say, that were interested in going to Portugal for a trial. They came here to New England years ago. I sent three of I sent two players from where I was coaching. I wasn't their coach because I was I didn't coach women. I've never coached women. But they were at where I was. I sent two players down and I sent two friends of mine as well who I kid you not, I sent two two players who had played in a co-ed league with me who were high-level players. Getting, you know, they played high-level college soccer. And were Portuguese. Okay, none of them are, none of them were selected. But I'm just saying this is how this team used to find players. They'd go to the United States. They go to France. They go to Canada. Do you qualify for a Portuguese passport? Do you? This is exactly how the conversation went. Can you get yourself to Portugal? If you can get yourself there, we can. The federation can cover your costs from the moment you show up there. That was the Paul. They trained in the Humayor at the time, at the training center where, you know, last year Vila Fankens called home. This year, I believe, Kazapia is going to call home. Um, that is where this national team was when I was introduced to it. Became friends with some of the players, okay, some of the names. Uh, Sisters, uh, there were two sisters, Kimberly and Lizette Brandon from New Jersey, Sonia Curvelo from Ontario, Canada, 
because they were coaches. I got to know them through the coaching circles. But they had played for the Portuguese national team. Okay, they they found their way there. They answered that call. They they found their way there. They played. They were in national team camps. Okay, they became, and um, there were more. Sonia Matias, Melissa, Melissa Antunch was her name. She was from Montreal. Um, ended up switching to futsal, but there was a number of. Uh, players in the Portuguese national team that I had connections or indirect connections. I was one or two connections away from. From going from that with all the... And these were players that I'm sure are extremely proud of what they're seeing now, what that has turned into. And they should be. The older players in this team got to play with them. The the Ana Borges, the Silvia Javillus, the um, the Carol Costa might have even played with them. I remember, you know, they played with other names that people that have followed Portuguese women's football are going to know the the Claudia Netus, the Edith uh, Fernandes of the world. Okay, and now they just went to the World Cup, outplayed. The friggin' United States, the back-to-back world champions, should have won. It was unlucky not to win. Okay, what I'm going to say about Francisco Neto here, for as much as I'll criticize him, and I, I struggle to find a lot of times he, he frustrates me like very few coaches can. He got this game 100% right, and I'm listening to the commentary both online and even on television here in the United States, talking about what is he doing? He needs to go for the win. No, no, no. He got this right, okay? He knew, and coaches know these things. We don't admit these things, but we know these things. To beat the United States, you have to score at the very end. You can't score in the fifth minute and try. You never tell the team this, okay? You can't score in the fifth minute and expect to hold on for 85 minutes. You're going to wake up the monster. Um, and there, any complacency that might set in is going to reverse. Okay, they're going to wake up. And you have to play it smart. And he played this 100% smart. Portugal stayed completely well organized throughout. Portugal did not turn the ball over. The United States were waiting for a turnover because they could not break them down, which is the one way I thought we could get a result was exactly like this. Get the ball, keep it when you can, stay organized, make them pass through you. The United States wants to win with athleticism. This has been something I've been arguing with U.S. soccer fans for over a decade now. The problem is because they win... They think this is the right way to play the game and it, that it's never going to catch up with them. Coaches in this country, especially on the women's side, do not develop, do not do a good enough job developing technical skills. They pick the players based on their height, on their 40-meter 40, their 40 meter dash time, and their vertical. I kid you not. They want to lob balls in the air into the box, and they want to have the tallest players with the highest verticals up, perfecting their heading technique and putting it on goal and creating chaos. 
Alex Morgan did nothing in this match other than try to run past players. She did it sometimes, other times she didn't. There was no imagination whatsoever in this American team, and I expected that. They're used to just being more athletic. That has carried them to the last two World Cups, their athleticism. Guess what? They're hanging on to old players. They're not nearly as athletic as they used to be. Okay? They didn't develop the other parts of their game. They don't even read the game very well. They run in straight lines. Because they're world champions, they are getting a cloudy vision of their own abilities. And what happened was these, and this happened to the German men's team about 20 years ago, and it led to a great reset in German football. This American team isn't even humble enough. This federation is not humble enough to even think they need a reset. They continue to just select players based on athletic ability. Okay? I said this earlier. This Portuguese women's team did not even play 11 versus 11 until the senior level. There were no elite club teams for them to play on. Unlike the American players whose parents paid thousands of dollars for them to play on elite teams all through their upbringing, all through their teen years. Unlike the American team whose parents spent money to send them to showcases so college coaches could see them play. Who spent money on personal trainers and private coaches. This is what the elite American players do. And for whatever reason in this country, this is going to sound politically incorrect, but it's true. I've seen it being a coach. Parents are more dedicated, more willing to dish out money on personal trainers, on private coaches, on tournaments, okay, travel for tournaments for their daughters than they are for their sons. And I and it's because they believe because the US are a dominant women's team that these girls have a better chance of making it. And it's not about going professional for American parents. It's about getting college scholarships and going to college and getting an education on your soccer abilities. Why does that happen? Because the statistics show that there is a still a large percentage of college scholarships to female athletes that go unawarded. because Not because... Coaches and schools don't want to give it, but because players don't accept them. A lot of a lot of female players decide when they go to study that they're done playing. What 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 happened? And this is statistically proven. This isn't something I'm making up. When I was coaching, this is something that I had data on, and that we were told all the time. And as a result, this money goes ungiven. Lesser players can get in to those programs and get those those scholarships. And thus, the parents are spending the extra money. And American parents think they can buy anything. I get it. Hey, they're putting a full effort. I get it. I'm a parent. I would do anything to give my son a chance also to achieve his dreams, whatever those dreams are. I get it. I would sell the shirt off my back if I had to. I'm not... Knocking that. But with all that, with all that, these players 
receive the ball on the wrong foot. They don't open their hips in receiving the ball. They don't play to their teammates, you know, strong foot when it's there. They turn into pressure. They make unforced errors when there isn't even pressure. And they run in straight lines. There's no synchronization. There's no crisscrossing. They play the simple ball all the time. They usually play to the where they're facing. Very few turns. There's no Cruyff turns. There's no cutbacks. How many heel flicks do you see? And it's not to show off. It's it's you saw Portugal doing all of these things. Because the Portuguese players what they don't have in athleticism, they have in their mental game. They are very they think the game. They see the game much better than the Americans did. And that's cultural. That's not something that can be fixed with a private coach. That's not something that you can earn doing bench press. That's not something chin-ups can give you. It's not something stadium runs can give you. That comes from being in a culture where you're watching football all your life. That comes from being a diehard Benfica, diehard Sportingista, diehard whatever, Portista, whatever team, and following your team and watching hundreds, thousands of games growing up and watching players in your position and how they do things. That's what the American players lack. They don't really watch. They don't grow up watching the game the same way. There's so many sports here. And the majority of these players' families don't come from. They don't come from football families. They come. A lot of them are the daughters of athletes. But they're basketball players. They're American football players. They're tennis players. And they watch all these sports. I'm not saying you can't learn from other sports. Because I'm a big proponent that you absolutely can. I use... I tell play. I used to tell players all the time, and I still watch basketball like a soccer coach. Watch their movements. You watch basketball in the way that when the the guard has the ball at the top of the key, the way players without the ball are moving. It's very similar in football, but if you watch this match, when Rose Lavelle has got the ball and she's looking for someone to pass, all her teammates are running in straight lines. Is that what you see when you watch the NBA? No, that's not what you see when, I don't know, uh, I'm a, because I'm a Celtics fan, when Jason Tatum has the ball at the top of the key, you don't see people run in straight lines. You see guys crisscrossing, coming across the face of the basket. You see another guy peeling off, going into the corner. Or in the modern NBA, you just see everybody get out of the way and shoot threes. But the point is, Portugal used their intelligence, their footballing IQ, superior footballing IQ, to stay in this match. Athletically, physically, they had no business in this match. However, the United States continues to roll out these old players. Okay, And Alex Morgan was terrible. She doesn't have it anymore. She, she does not have an imagination. She does the obvious play every time. And the Portuguese players were ready for everything that she was going to do. She had one dangerous play and was cleared off the line. But she took far too long to dribble the goalkeeper. She didn't even get her hips around the ball to really direct it towards goal with any power. 
She missed wide a number of times because her hips were facing wide. She can't turn them. And I'm not hammering the player. I, I Listen, she, she's in her 30s. She's had a child. I get it. This is all part of, uh, of the process. But my point is that they just don't know what to do when the athleticism doesn't work. So this is watching this as a Portuguese-American I was filled with pride, and I'm going really long again. I was filled with pride, pride in Kika Nazaré, <laughs> doing a a a step over that had Crystal Dunn falling over. She didn't. You don't see dribble like that in the NWSL. Don't tell me that that's the best league in the world anymore. I'm getting more and more uh, support for this argument. I'm getting more people that agree with me every time I say this. Don't tell me that's the best league in the world, okay? It's the most athletic and physically demanding league in the world, sure. And you have you have to run and you have to jump and you have to, you know, there's a lot of contact. But you compare that to when you watch a Barcelona women's match and the beauty that that is when the ball is doing all the work. I mean, I think Portugal were unlucky. They, they didn't create an enormous amount of chances but they had good chances. One thing I would have done differently if I'm going... Again, I don't understand why Inish Pereira didn't play in the second game. He went back to her as he should. Okay, um, He brought Diana Gomes back into the back line as he should. I don't know why Dolores... I know she's the captain, but for me, Dolores does not start this game. Andrea Jacinto starts in that spot. And I know the plan was to bring Andrea in for Kika because they probably had established Kika was going to play 60 minutes. The moment Kika left the the pitch, Portugal lost the midfield. They were dominant in midfield, and it's because they had an extra player. Okay, Portugal had an extra player in midfield. The United States wants to put their extra player up front. And as the game went on, it led to to the United States dropping further and further back. And that is what Neto was banking on. He was waiting to go for the kill when he, he you have to gamble, you have to roll the dice, and you had to keep this game nil-nil as long as possible. There was no way this game plan worked, but it's the only game plan you can do to beat the United States, okay? You have to keep it nil-nil. You have to frustrate them without waking them up too early. Okay, and they did this to perfection. My only concern, or I should say my only disagreement with with him was, like I said, not going with Andrea Jacinto. However, the United States starts making defensive substitutions, and Neto knows now is the time. Now I don't have to risk it. I know they're not going to come forward too many more times. And here comes Capeta. Here comes Encarnação. Encarnação should have come in earlier. That's the other thing. I, I again, I didn't. I understand why he why he went with Diana Silva is very, um, it was very logical. He had Jessica and Diana because of their pace, because the U.S. wingbacks want to get forward. We didn't even let them get forward that much in this match. I mean, Portugal had so much of the ball that those wingbacks couldn't even get forward. The idea was the U.S. was going to get forward. The space was going to open up. And Jessica and Deanna's uh, pace was going to get them into spaces and maybe create chances. Andrea had one one opportunity. I think it was, it was still in the first half. 
the ball came. It was Jessica winning the ball along the side. She found Kika. Kika played it to the top of the area. Andrea hit it, but she didn't hit it quite well enough. It went a little wide. But let's talk about Andrea and the player I'd like to see at Benfica. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let you know. I'm talking about Tatiana Pinto. Okay, I was blown away with her in these three matches. I don't know if her ties to Sporting in the past means she wouldn't come to Befica. I think that's ridiculous. She's a high-level player who's towards the tail end of her career, and I'm sure she wants to win, and I'm sure she wants to play in the Champions League. I mean, right now, she plays her football in Spain, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pulling her up right now. Tatiana Pinto. Um... Yeah, so she's Lergata, whatever. She She's 29 years old, so she's still got something to give. And, yeah, she, like I said, she's Lergata, whatever. Um, we've got João Mario. We've got Nicolas Sotomendi in our team. I'm not worried about pre- previous club affiliations. Okay, very, very good central midfielder. The way she played with Andrea Norton in this match, the way the two of them controlled the midfield and got the ball to Kika. Okay, Kika freed her up to play f- much higher, get into those gaps, into those spaces. Okay, I think that again, the only thing I would have changed in that midfield three, I would have swapped out the Lourdes and I would have put in Jacinto there. And then, I mean, Tatiana Pinto was everywhere in this match, and she, I don't think she took a single bad touch in this match against the United States. Okay. The awareness of the Portuguese players was far superior. They felt the pressure coming, and they touched the ball into space. And they knew they couldn't outrun the Americans, and they didn't try to. They let the ball do the running, and they passed the ball quickly. This was a phenomenal, phenomenal performance. And I'm just picturing if you, I'm just picturing Tatiana Pinto and Andrea Norton combining like that in Benfica kits. It's not going to happen. I get it. She, she, she's Legata. You know, she's a, she's a sporting player. Um, and did I say where it, where she played her football this year? I looked it up, and I don't think I read it. She played for... she without a contract? She plays for Levante. Okay, she plays for Levante, who are a, a good team. Levante last season, um, they finished... I want to say they finished... Near the the, I think they finished like fourth last year, in the Spanish league. They're uh they're a good team. Okay, um so she is playing at a high level, so it may not be doable. And like I said, going down the roster, we have other options now. But just the way she played in this match, I was I was very very impressed in all three matches from her. But again, the Portuguese team my hats off to them they made me incredibly proud i'm gushing with pride still from what i saw and the adversity they overcame the the from where they started to where they got an absolutely phenomenal phenomenal and i actually i stand corrected levante finished third they're playing in the women's champions league qualifiers on uh wednesday september the 6th so that that tells you so she is not yeah, that's probably not even an option because she's going to be playing in the Champions League for Levante. Um, but again, Befica's players, for the most part, were, were fantastic. Lucia playing on the wrong side 
for a match. She played really well. Uh, she played really well for 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 Portugal there. Um, Catarina was awesome. Imagine if they were playing on on the correct side. Um, Kika, Kika's Kika. Can I say Carol? Fantastic. I mean, uh, just flawless as a central defender. Um, Saisa when she was in was good. So again, very very happy with this this performance of our Benfica players. Before I go, I gotta I gotta talk about Christy Uchebe, of course. Uh, her side, Nigeria, they are into the round of sixteen, and uh, she has played every minute, if I'm not mistaken, uh, for her Nash for her team here in this World Cup. And Nigeria just I'm I'm pulling up right now where they they surprised a lot of people to get out of this group. They were in a tougher group. They're in a group with Australia and Canada and Ireland, okay? Uh, she was instrumental, like I said, just pulling up Nigeria's match reports here. Uh, against Canada, a nil-nil draw. And back on the opening day of the tournament, Uchebi in that match... Got herself a 7.7 rating. Very good. She was one of the highest rated players on the pitch. Highest rated on her team. So she was very good playing for the American coach, Randy Waldrop. And then in their surprise win over Australia, Christie was a 7.6. Again, second highest uh, second highest rated player on her team behind Kanu. And um, she was, again, instrumental. She just she played... The, she played all, if I'm not mistaken, she played all 270 minutes of this World Cup thus far. And in the 0 0 draw with Ireland, again, another 90 minutes and another 7 plus rating. Nigeria advanced, like we said, they came in second place. And let's take a look here. Their next match, I'm going to give you the exact date and time for this match. Nigeria are set now to play against England. Oh, it, what a reward. Only the European champions at the Brisbane Stadium on the 7th of August. Uh, it's a 3.30 a.m. start for me here, which means it's a 7.30 start, I think, in Australia. 7.30 p.m. Um, FIFA's number 40 ranked team against FIFA's number 4 ranked team. But who knows? Stranger things have happened. And um, selfishly, I think it, I would love to see her come back to the team so we can start focusing for the Champions League. But, uh, yeah, that is where the women's game and the women's team stands right now. So sad to see those three players leave. Excited for these new players. Let's see what happens here. Um, and, uh, yeah, the season's going to start pretty soon. But, uh until the season starts, this is probably the last we'll talk about the, the women's football. So I wanted to get this out for you guys so uh, we can move on to the men's preseason. I'm going to record that this weekend. And then Liga Trish kicks off next week, next Monday. It kicks off on Monday, Monday and Tuesday, round one. So, and that's, you know, leading into Benfica Super Cup match on Wednesday. So the content's going to start rolling in. Um the season premieres of both 
of both uh, Liga 3 and English, plus the season premiere of Mr. Benfica are right around the corner. Uh, the way I'm going to do it, the season premiere will be the recap of the Super Cup, and hopefully it's a happy recap. Um, I know the results have been what they've been here in the preseason, but again, I'm going to give you my perspective when I talk to you next time here on Mr. Benfica. Uh, please, again, follow me on Twitter at at Mike Agustinho, sorry. That's at M-I-K-E-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O. Follow the show at Benfica Mister. And follow on Instagram at Mr. Benfica. You can check out uh, Uh if you want to check out anything that's there. I haven't really put anything up in a long time, but it's there. Uh, give it a few clicks if you don't mind. And um, I'm going to be, I have in the show notes, I have a link to my latest video, which is um, the beginning of, of my little ground hopping, hopping tour with my son. So do check that out. The link is in the show notes. And that's it for episode 166. So I will talk to you again soon. Keep an ear out for the latest episode of Parking the Bus. That's going to drop in the next day or so. Um, a little different format. I'm kind of changing it a little bit again. So uh, do tune in and you can you can be kept up to date on that. All right, that's going to do it. Thank you for sticking with me this long. I've gone long once again. It's something I do. But this has been episode 166 of Mr. Benfica. I am the Mr. Mike Agustinho signing out. And I'll catch you next time here on Mr. Benfica, part of the PTB Media Network. Mm-hmm.